Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We got a guest today. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Oh, of course, we always have Dwayne McFarlane here as well, but joining us, the one, the only, underdog fantasy's finest, you know him, he's been here before, Hayden Winks at Hayden Winks on Twitter, adds up. Hayden, hey man, how are you? Doing good. Uh, Glad to be teaching the good folks the game of best ball, the greatest fantasy football game ever created. Dwayne, best ball, best fantasy format, are we going there? Hey, man, I, I love best ball more every year. And when you have people like Hayden putting out great content, you know, that are researching it, they have access to all the data. That's the cool thing about Underdog. They actually make a lot of this data, you know, available to everyone. So the masses can look at it and try to figure stuff out. But yeah, I think it's just a game that continues to grow. I don't know if I'll put it number one yet, just for me specifically, but I will say this will be by far the most, you know, um, best ball teams that I will have drafted. Um, in a season i think i'm already over 70 ian so <laughs> i've already set a record and we are only in july the one thing that best ball has is in may you can talk about fantasy football now like which we did not have uh at times a couple of seasons ago and you can actually do it without sounding like a crazy person you can be like hey i'm trying to win uh two million dollars here so i think that's what it gives the, the slight edge is for may and june we can have an excuse to talk about this we're so much more in the weeds now, man. I I'm, I go to like a bar and I'm like, oh, I could go talk to some strangers or I could do another best ball draft on my phone. <laughs> and then there I am for another 45 minutes, you know, just lost in my own thoughts. But it's a great time. So, you know, we're going to continue talking about it and worry about touching grass, talking to other humans at a later date. Uh, again, people find Hayden over at Underdog Fantasy. Him and Josh Norris always doing exceptional stuff. And, you know, just shout out to Underdog for kind of just letting you uh, – what's the right word unlock the right strategy for all these tournaments Hayden you you guys always have one different one up after another unfortunately the puppy has closed but still got best ball mania and some slow drafts as well but that is kind of your thing so first thing I want to touch on Hayden is some of the work you've done throughout the summer looking at ADP actually just saw a, a cool tweet from friend the podcast Scott Barrett showing that really over the last 10 years we've all gotten a lot better like just the correlation between ADP and like final finishes has gotten a lot sharper particularly at quarterback what is your general thumb on kind of reaching past ADP and when are you willing to make an exception yeah so I I think the thing about ADP is what's the point of drafting ahead of ADP if you can just draft that player a round or two later so my study is in rounds four through 14 last year, 84% of picks in these middle rounds on underdog fantasy came either within 12 picks before or after the ADP. So if you're looking at a player that you really like and he's going dra- he's being drafted 140th overall, what's the point of drafting him at 98th overall? If we can assume that for the most part, he's going to be there when we have that selection at 136. So uh, I did some studies. The teams that draft closest to ADP perform better than teams that do reach. And I think that uh, staying around ADP is ex- especially important in best ball because you're not just competing against the 11 people that you're drafting with, like your traditional home league. There's going to be somebody that's going to have these same exact players, but they're going to have them a little bit after ADP. And that's the one thing I keep trying to tell myself is for every single time I reach on a player by 12 picks, the next draft, somebody can draft that same exact player 12 picks after ADP. And you are eventually going to be competing with those teams. So um, you can do multiple drafts. I have my guys. I'm not like just draft off the highest ADP available. Have your guys, but make sure you're getting your guys at good cost. Yeah, and Hayden, so one question I get on this one all the time, and I, I love this. So, And I think that is the big takeaway. 
you know, it's just the fact that every time you're taking a player at, you know, 12 spots ahead, someone else is probably getting them 12 spots after. Like that is the simplest, most beautiful way of putting this. And especially if you're going to draft multiple teams, but I got a lot of folks that reach out and they're like, I might only do five teams. Yep. Um, do you change your rule of thumb for that? Like if you're not going to be a mass entry player, you know, how would you answer that? And then just one other question is what about drafting from the turns? Because we know each time, like say if you're picking at 12, it's 22 picks, right? Before you yep. go again. So pretty much like a lot of like, if we're just trying to look at 12 spots, like there, there's not a 12 spots. Unless you're targeting someone that you think, okay, normally, you know, from my pick now, they go 12 picks past me where I'm picking now. So in that case, right, there'd be a good chance they're going to make it back. But if it's someone that you're thinking, you know, is, you know, six spots, seven spots, eight spots after your pick, do you widen that range, you know, a little bit, you know, whenever you're picking from the turns? So I think for the, if I'm only doing one to five drafts, like, of course, we're trying to have fun, get the players that you like. If you're trying to have the best odds of winning the whole thing, then I'm still going to go back to this answer where you should still be drafting around 80 people. I mean, come on, you don't have to draft a bad team that you're not even rooting for just because, I'm telling you that you're going to be a little bit better chance of winning this whole thing. Um, the turn discussions is very interesting because I think um, the later you get into the draft, the wider the range of where players are getting drafted. Like in the first couple rounds, you're not going to see somebody that goes in the fourth round in the second round very often. We say very tight in ADP, but in like round 16, you can start getting players going all over the place. So as the later you get onto the into the draft, the wider those those ranges get. And that's where I think like in at the 14, 15 turn, if you want to reach on somebody a little bit, you're really not punting off that much equity. These are long shot bets in the first place. Um, I will only be not only, but for the most part, I'm going to be doing, I'm doing some of my reaching when I'm trying to build that stack, but I'm, I'm really not reaching that often just because you can draft the next time and get your, your guy in just the next draft. And that's okay too. That's a uh, Hayden, myself, and John Diggle do our weekly streams over at 444.com on Thursday afternoons. And I want to say I was working with like a Chase and Higgins early on stack, and I wanted to take Burrow at like round five or six, like earlier than I should have. And yeah, Hayden brought up a good point. Just like, look, you're a like getting Chase and Higgins is not impossible. I'm absolutely going to be competing with people who are going to reach on Burrow early, waiting just a little bit. When we're playing against hundreds of thousands of other lineups, it is a good idea to get a little contrarian there. But one thing he said in that Hayden was like, you know, you're helping yourself a little bit here. Let's talk about week 17 correlation, the Uh-oh. topic that's, uh, you know. <laughs> I can't believe, I can't, I'll be honest, Ian, I can't believe that you were even willing to bring this up. I'm very <laughs> proud of you. Well, here's the thing, and I can't completely ignore it when smart people like Dwayne, like Hayden himself, like John Daigle are talking about it because as much as I like to think I have everything figured out, maybe just maybe uh, this old dog can learn some new tricks as well. So, Hayden, what's your overall stance on the most nerd virgin topic we freaking had in this entire industry this summer, Week 17 Correlation? Yeah, it's it's the worst, but at the same time, it is true. And the reason why it's so important for Best Ball Mania 3 in particular is $2 million to first place, $1 million to second place. That gets divvied out based off of how well you do to weeks you do in week 17. Of course, you have to get there and we can debate all, all that stuff. But week 17, first place, that's how the big prizes get uh, mapped out. So with that being said, it almost turns into like a little bit of a DFS slate if you guys are familiar with that so that's where you're talking about a quarterback with two of his pass catchers you're trying to stack but really the difference is like everyone knows that for for best ball we're, we've been stacking for the last couple of seasons of best ball this year it's about the bring back correlation how much does the opposing player match up and i think 
that there is a little bit something to this. There's a reason why in DFS we'll pick a quarterback, two of his receivers, and then a receiver on the other team. Now, I don't think that we should just say they, they're playing each other they have correlation. The positions themselves have different correlations. Like a wide receiver and the opposing wide receiver correlate better than the running back and the other running back. Because if one running back goes for 25 points, that means they probably have a lead. And that means the other running back's probably not getting fed the ball. So I think that we have to get a little bit more detailed and basically be applying to the DFS principles to best ball. So I think that for the most part, I'm adding a little bit of correlation. I'm not going out of my way. I'm not reaching for it. If it's available for me and the positions actually map out then it's a nice little cherry on top i think that we're discussing it a lot because it's new yes it does matter i don't think it's the biggest priority getting the right players uh roster construction to me is way more important than week 17 bring back correlation and Dwayne, the one thing when i have listened to your thoughts on this i think you've done a good job with this we don't care about like defensive matchups more than like we're, we're caring less than ever about defensive matchups if you're going to target one of these matchups, just do the high scoring game with two great quarterbacks on both sides. Yeah. I mean, and that's what we've seen. I mean, typically historically, like when you look at the 50 plus, you know, point projected game totals, um, it's usually great quarterbacks <laughs> playing each other. And that's what to Hayden's point, where if we're playing a DFS slate, where does all the money flock to, right? It flocks to like the two games where the great quarterbacks are playing and then we're stacking all the different weapons. So I love this, you know, just because it's thinking about that same, you know, type of thing just further out. I mean, if you look at the AFC West and NFC West alone right now on Superbook, they account for 56% of the games projected for 50 points or more on the schedule. Yes, Superbook already has all the totals up for all the games. So that's just okay. through week 17. So, And I think there are different ways to think about it, right? There's a lot of macro correlation if you build a lot of rosters you know, containing those types of players, right? Because you know you're going to get, well, the Broncos are going to play the Chiefs. The Broncos are going to play the Chargers. The Broncos, you know, they're also going to get to play the Rams. They're going to get to play the 49ers. And those are teams that all are loaded with a lot of great talent. Now, not a lot of those players are available late in your underdog drafts like most of them are going to go like in the first 10 rounds some of them you know you'll be able to get some players later so you have to think about that as well but yeah i think it's i like thinking about like the micro correlation at the end of the season is nice but this year just the way the schedule works out with the afc west and the nfc west i love it hey and you talked about the bring back type of stacks but i know you've done a lot of research looking at the past winners now i know we're playing for 2022 but what did you see about general stacking principles in terms of you know if we have if we're rostering three quarterbacks we want to have all them stacked with one teammate is it okay to go with two teammates usually just wide receivers not tight end do you have you know a couple of general rules of thumb you like to use for just same team roster stacking so when it comes to team stack, I, I think that we have to kind of break it down between in a one game sample over the versus the entire season. Like a running back's going to be positively cor- correlated with his quarterback over the entire course of the season because you just want that team to do well. Now that's where it gets tricky because I just said in week seventeen we got to come in first place. So then you have to be looking at how are uh, teammates correlated in a one game sample at ceiling outcomes too? Because I don't care about if they what happens on the 50th percentile outcome. You're trying to come in first place out of uh, over 400 people in this tournament. First or last, maybe. Yeah, we got to be looking at ceiling outcomes. What happens when a running back does well, when he scores 30 points, what does his wide receivers and all that stuff do? I ran a bunch of numbers. I looked at it from uh, best ball data. I looked at it with just not best ball data, but just how teams score in general. And it comes back to the same thing. The quarterbacks and wide receivers have the most correlation together. Then quarterbacks and tight ends have a little bit. The running backs and the wide receivers, not very much in the one game sample here. And the other thing is you don't get like the third wide receiver popping off 
at the same time as the wide receiver one and wide receiver two. For the most part, it's two wide receivers or, or I'll say two pass catchers. So most of my stacks is going to be one quarterback and two of his pass catchers. That can be two wide receivers. That can be one wide receiver, one tight end. But I'm very rarely building out these mega stacks. And I think I looked back at the Bengals week 17 last year and they had another blowout game in week 15 too. And even those massive games, like we're talking about like passing yards records here, even those teams that had the three uh, teammates did better than the teams with the four. And that was at the greatest possible uh, game that you can possibly have for fantasy. So for the most part, I'm trying to come up with as many, many stacks as possible, two or three players from the same team. You're rarely going to be seeing me draft four, five, six players from the same team because you want to be very uh, particular about how this this, this stack is going to uh, work out in week 17. If you drafted Joe Mixon and T Higgins and Joe Burrow and Tyler Boyd, it's, it's hard to see how all of them are going to pop off uh, in that week 17 game. Hey, on the bringbacks real quick, Hayden, like, cause one thing I will notice, I see it a ton. Like somebody starts off, you know, let's say they grab Mike Evans, they come back and get Brady, may, they get Godwin or Gage, right? It's a pretty typical stack. You'll see it's pretty affordable, you know, on underdog. And then I'll see them miss on like, obviously they didn't, they didn't get DJ Moore the way they drafted. Maybe they missed Robbie Anderson. And so I'll just see that team like throw a dart. Well, I'll just take Deonta Foreman. It's, you know, my week 17 matchup of the the Bucks versus the Panthers. But like based on the research you've done and then just, you know, some of the, you know, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but I think it's Brandon Gadula where you, you, you had, show, you had, you know, brought up his column and one of the ones you wrote and I actually went and read it. I was like, wow, this is really good. I'd, I'd seen some stuff from Rotoviz in the past, but I thought he did a great job of laying it out. And really what your data is saying, like, look, if Deonta Foreman goes off week 17 and McCaffrey's out, it's most likely you're not going to have all the Bucks players going off because you By got the, way, the RB1. Just, yeah. Dwayne, I, I thought you mispronounced Brandon Zilstra's name. I thought we were still talking about <laughs> No, no. <laughs> no, I was actually I was actually crediting an author. So if okay. I said it wrong, Hayden, correct me because I want to make sure we get it right. He's from Number Fire. It was a great article. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, and it's exactly right. You got to think about how these games play out. Like Deonta Foreman going off. First of all, against the Bucks, the one of the best run defenses in, in the league, and playing with the game script, we're already getting sideways. In that example, I think you go with Terrace Marshall in round eighteen. Agree. All yep. of a sudden, the Bucks go off. Now they're just trailing and just throwing into the slot to Terrace Marshall. Maybe he scores a touchdown. Um, the other thing about this, the correlation stuff, though, that makes it interesting is you can build like correlation based off of contingencies. And, like the classic example is like right now. Uh, Adam Thielen and KJ Osborne might not have the most correlation if Justin Jefferson's healthy, because how are all three of them going to eat in this offense? But if Justin Jefferson misses time, all of a sudden the rest of the offense gets projected for more volume. So that's where like best ball gets so complicated because like some of these players, like in a one game sample don't make sense to us right now, but if an injury breaks away, all of a sudden things change. So that's where you kind of have to be really mapping these things out. But in general draft more teammates together. I'm less concerned about the bring back options. I want, three players, two players from the same offense and just keep doing that uh, as many times throughout the draft. Are there any exceptions to that, Hayden, where if we have a run-heavy enough quarterback, we're willing to just go go naked with them, no stacks at all? I mean, we do have Lamar, Trey Lance, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields. Like, 
are we still going out of our way to stack them? Because I have had lineups where I get Fields. You know, he's basically QB 16 or so. He's If you really want to go like late, late round QB, he's kind of, in my opinion, the last one you can get. And now I'm spending, you know, it's round 17, round 18 picks on Byron Pringle and Vilas Jones. And I, I struggle to look at myself in the mirror after that. Am I wasting my time there, man? If we have one of these run-heavy quarterbacks, do we just roster them and say, okay, that's good? So I think the the dual threat quarterback being naked is better than it with like a statue quarterback. But I still think if you have Trey Lance, Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, you name them, you're still better off having one. I think the real debate is having one or two in those options. I think that someone like Lamar Jackson, you can go Rashad Bateman at the round four or five turn. Then you can sprinkle in Devin Duvernay if you want to later. Um, I'm debating if you want Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, and Rashad Bateman because Lamar Jackson's such a dual threat. But I think that for the most part, if you have Trey Lance, you got to be drafted one of the three. Like if Trey Lance is going to finish as the quarterback one on a week, like is he really going to rush for 150 yards and three touchdowns? Like that just like doesn't happen. You're hoping for like 80 yards, two touchdowns, one in the air, and it was a long one to Brandon Ayuk. Like that's how you get that ceiling outcome. So I think for the most part, even with the dual threat guys, give me one of his wide receivers. Um, I've been doing a little George Kittle, Trey Lance. You can do Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews uh and and those examples but even with justin fields like if you missed out on darnell Mooney, you're sitting at justin fields i hate to say it you got to grab cole Komet, who i don't don't even think is that good at football or byron pringle later on you just got to hope that one of them has like a longer touchdown here so small sample but the strategy i've used when lamar jackson falls to me past adp and i'm get i'm near the turn um so say i'm picking like 9 10 11 somewhere in there I'll just take Bateman first. And it's so funny because everybody will just let Lamar Jackson go by because I, they're like, I don't have anybody to stack him with. But if you take Jackson first, Bateman will like always go. And that's just super small sample. I've, I've just been toying around with it. But it's interesting. When the quarterbacks slide, right, it's because the people that, you know, own their top weapons are deciding yep. to not take them. And then everybody else is like, well, what's the point? Because I can't stack them now. And so at some point, it just becomes a value because it's just Lamar Jackson and he's a badass, right? And you're getting him past ADP. So it's like you don't want to overthink it. Hey, I did have one other question on quarterbacks like while we were on them. Okay. Um, you also wrote something about like, and I love the contingency base, you know, draft thing and, and layering in, you know, the bringbacks and all that. Like the bringbacks is really kind of a new thing that we're talking about this year. But it's something I've thought about in redraft. I didn't, I like your word for it, contingent based, you know, drafting. Mine was just really more around roster construction, but there's tons of stuff Hayden has. You guys can go check it out. It's around like this if then. Like it's really based on the way you start your draft and you start your team. Then you start thinking about, okay, the way you should think about your stacks and just your general roster construction. But one of the things that you did write about this year was quarterbacks. And when is it just too early to take a QB2? And so let's say, um, actually, I'll let you lay it out because you've got some different examples based on, again, contingent, like the way you started your draft. How early did you take your first quarterback, et cetera? Yeah, and the way I'm actually really doing that is thinking about how I'm drafting and assuming I'm right because you can't be hedging against yourself. You got to get pretty lucky. Like, obviously, there's edges here, but you got to get pretty lucky with how your draft's going to fall fall through to win win these big tournaments so like when i am talking about the quarterback and the column was about when should i draft my quarterback to i looked at the kyler murray season from 2020 when he was like a sixth seventh round pick and he was an absolute baller and then i looked at josh allen last year he was like a round four or five pick and he was an absolute baller and i looked at those teams specifically if you drafted josh allen or kyler murray you basically just hit the stone cold nuts for that season and i looked in the best pairings were when the quarterbacks were being drafted after round eight 
round nine, round 10, all the way into like the round 13, 14 range, you're going to be betting on those quarterbacks uh, when you have the best quarterback season. So for the most part, like if you have Josh Allen, even if Kyler Murray's sitting there in round six, I would be passing on them. That's too much draft capital into one position. Now, if you have Josh Allen and, and all of a sudden Matthew Stafford or Aaron Rodgers has fallen around after ADP, that's, I think, the sweet spot. And then that scenario, you'd only be drafting two quarterbacks. Um, something I have noticed, though, is that the scoring for quarterbacks is way up the last like two years. Yeah. And I, I think for the most part, there's reasons why that is. Like the NFL offenses are changing. The elite quarterbacks are really pushing with like neutral pass rates and all that stuff. So the environments are a little bit different. But I am wondering if like with the wide receivers changing teams, like Aaron Rodgers loses number one and he goes to like that tier two or three tier three quarterback to Derek Carr. Same thing with Tua and, and Mahomes. I wonder if the strategy now is going to be draft Patrick Mahomes in round four and then wait all the way to like the Daniel Jones, the Mac, the Mac Jones, like really push it. And that's when you go your second quarterback build. So uh, in, in the end, just don't invest too much into the quarterback position. I, I think that having two by round eight would be pushing it too much. I think that you can double dip like Trey Lance, Matthew Stafford. I think that's totally fine though. I love that you brought up the Daniel Jones idea there. Cause I've been getting a lot of that. I can't go on a best ball stream without bringing up my affinity for Carson Wentz at the end of these drafts and Jared Goff stacking with the Monroe St. Brown. Like, yeah, I know everyone it's disgusting, but this is how we got to think about it. It's like Wentz or Goff in round 16 or 17 or like Tua in round 11. Like, yeah, I, I think straight up I have Tua ranked ahead of him uh, as well, but Hayden, like, I think we like to me that's that QB kind of the the low end QB two to the QB three tier. I think there's like eight or nine quarterbacks arguably yep. in that, and the disparity in ADP. Like I'd much rather be taking shots at running back, wide receiver still uh, throughout you know rounds eleven through fifteen, and then yeah, let's dip into the maybe a little bit more disgusting waters. But we're at least you know in a more shallow part of the pond in this messed up metaphor I'm trying to give right now. Yeah, I mean, like in round like 10, 11, I think there's some really high upside plays at running back based off of the contingencies. You're Rashad White's, Isaiah Spillers, those types, Alexander Madison, where you're one ankle roll away from having a month stretch where you're talking about top 12 fantasy production at the position. Then you go back and you get a little bit deeper. Now we're talking to like running backs where we're not even sure if they're the RB2, like Ty Davis Price. And all. Like you can make a case like, yes, they have some upside themselves, but more things have to break their way. And sitting right next to them is like Mac Jones. Daniel Daniel Jones are two of my favorites. Uh, you like Carson Wentz? I can be sold on uh, Jared Goff. Like to me, like at like round fifteen, like we know that there's going to be a starting quarterback there for the entire season. To me, that's where like I'm starting to get into like the the late QB two range. I'm starting to find myself getting Kyler Murray and then waiting for Daniel Jones, Mac Jones in particular. There, um, the one thing is just like Trevor Lawrence, like. I see the upside case and all this pass catchers are so like so cheap. And I like to throw in my quarterback and tight end stack. And then to where you can get Evan Ingram, uh, who Ian, you had like a, a cool tweet earlier on uh, the off season where you like, he's like top 10 in fantasy points, like, like for like three straight years. And then in comes your boy, Jason Garrett and all, all, all shit goes down. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I think it's really just mapping out. And really when you're talking about those quarterbacks, it's, did you draft Terry McLaurin? Like, cause if you didn't draft Terry McLaurin, then you shouldn't probably be drafting Carson Wentz. That's why I keep drafting Mac Jones because I'm sitting there just hammering Hunter Henry and Devonte Parker. Cause they go in like round 12 and then you can get Mac Jones after. So you really just have to map things out. And, and Dwayne, I think we've talked about that too, where it's like, not that I, I think I, I probably keep getting Carson Wentz because I'm so damn high on Terry McLaurin. Like <laughs> in that tier, I think it's like accepting that 
we're talking about a bunch of likely bad quarterbacks here. Let's pl- let's do exactly what Hayden's talking about. Shoot for the stars, assume things go right, and just take the stack that's available. Yep. Yeah, but you could also come. You could have Jahan Dotson and Curtis Samuel, right? Yeah, you can. And have and, and you could get Wentz because they're also cheap. And then you're kind of back to well, what if something happens to Terry McLaurin? like what, you know, Hayden was talking about earlier, then maybe that does open the door for those two guys, you know, to, to play better. But the one that you mentioned that I, has really been growing on me and Ian and I talked about him last week, um, a couple of times, I think is Jared Goff. Like just looking at it. I mean, we're taking Amon Ross St. Brown, the end of the fifth round, early sixth round right now, an underdog, you're going to take TJ Hawkinson in the seventh or eighth round. And then we've got Jamison Williams, who's getting pushed down a little bit, rightfully so, because we don't know how it's going to look to begin the season with the injured knee. But he's a guy that could come on late. Pretty much DJ Chark has drafted every draft. And not to mention, we've got a pass catching back that goes in round two and DeAndre Swift. So like when we just look at all those ADPs and then you look at Jared Goff and how far down the board he's sitting, like he immediately makes sense to me. Like he's probably going to do better, right, than what we're expecting. And if the Lions really do take a big step forward and you get lucky and you can stack Goff with two of those, you know, options that we like in the first 10 rounds, then I think that's a solid path. Yeah, I we've seen Jared Goff be fantasy viable. Obviously, that was with Sean McVay, but this offensive line is really good. Uh, this is the second year in the system. I think that there's actually like legit talent here, and they all kind of mesh pretty well together. I think the name that I'm really starting to come around to is DJ Shark. That you gave him ten million dollars this year, mm-hmm. and all the reports. Uh, and I think it's a smart thing for the Lions to do as just like an organization is let's play this thing really slow with James Williams. I mean, he tore his ACL in the postseason of college football. He, nine months uh, from his recovery would be in like the middle of October. What's the point? We're not trying to win a Super Bowl this year. Jamison Williams was our guy. We traded up for him. Why rush this thing? I think that they're going to play it slow with Jamison Williams. I've been fading him at ADP, even though I thought he was fantastic as a prospect. And I think that DJ Shark's going to be like their true X receiver. That's what he does. That's something that the Lions have not had. He is a little bit of a better and best ball pick down uh, down the sideline. And I think that Jared Goff is completely free. And the reason why he's completely free is everyone doesn't like the guy. Like he's not the sexy name, <laughs> Kirk cousins, Derek Carr, Jared Goff, Adam Thielen. These guys are not going to be drafted at like their median outcomes uh, because nobody wants to draft these guys. So that's a hint. If you haven't heard a fantasy analyst talk about the guy, he might be going, uh, being overlooked a little bit. Yeah. If Carr's not- another great one. Yeah, if you're yep. not a top 12 quarterback, the whole world just seemingly thinks you suck these days. And it's like, you yeah. know, we can always take the value. Hayden, we were on a stream earlier. I mentioned the 4-4 already, but we had uh, last year's best ball mini winner, Justin Herzig, on it. And we were talking a little bit about handcuff running backs. Now, under the idea that we need everything to go right, from that perspective, why handcuff Ezekiel Elliott with Tony Pollard? Because by doing that, you're implying that Zeke's going to suck and you're going to burn your fourth round pick. Justin brought up a good point. That was like, okay, what if you, and his was a little bit different where it was Naeem Hines and Jonathan Taylor. So you weren't quite burning a pick early on Hines the same way you would with Pollard. His point was you can be the contrarian team where a bunch of Jonathan Taylors make it through to the final couple of weeks. And you're the one squad that also has Naeem Hines. God forbid something happens. So, do you have an official stance on the handcuffs? Because I do see where Justin's coming from. Obviously, he has a, knows a hell of a lot more about winning best ball tournaments than I do. I do wonder, though, are we starting to just, you know, how much extra value really is that in this contrarian? Are we, are we giving up too much value by handcuffing, basically? Well, just to peel back the curtain with Herzig in Best Ball Mania 1, where he won, he was the only team to have Alvin Kamara because something happened in Week 16, and he was the only team that actually had Alvin Kamara, and he had the five-touchdown game, and that's why he got 
so lucky, whatever you want. Maybe it was just really smart. But that tournament size was was much smaller, and now it's a bigger tournament. I get this. Like, I fully understand this strategy. It's like, all right, if, if Jonathan Taylor smashes like he did last year, but just in week 16, he wasn't able to play. Naeem Hines all of a sudden's in your lineup. He gives you 25 points. And then Jonathan Taylor's back. How many of those Jonathan Taylor teams are actually sitting there in the finals? I get that. There's a simulation where this exactly works. There's a lot of other strategy things <laughs> that you can talk yourself into. Uh, so if you want to do it, I think it's fine. I would do it in the examples, not the Tony Pollard Zeke one. I think it's like the DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams one where yeah. the ADPs are so drastic. Um, but I think for the most part, I'm not really messing with it. I can, I can be sold. I don't really have a strong stance. I think I'm drafting more Jamal Williams when I don't have DeAndre Swift. And because you're kind of making a bet like, all right, if the DeAndre Swift team's done, that means they don't have a second round pick. I can keep, Jamal Williams might be my flex. And now I kind of have this super team. So for the most part, I'm drafting the handcuffs because I think they have more ceiling than the pass catching backs and half PPR best ball in particular. Um, but for the most part, I'm drafting them when I don't have their RB1. Yeah, I've I've done it like a couple of times, but it's only like when the eight, when they slide past ADD. Like I I did it with Madison once with Dalvin Cook, and everybody on Twitter blew me up. I'm like I got him 24 picks pass. Like and and what happens right if Cook yep. goes down and he's the thing that makes everybody advance to the final round, and now you have Madison. Like there is a there is a galaxy brain path right <laughs> to it working out and you winning a bunch of money. But it really at the end of the day just came down to the fact that Madison was there like over 25 picks pass. You know where I would normally yeah. take Madison or where yeah. the ADP is on underdog. It really does remain wild just how cheap Jamal Williams is. I have a, a handcuff index article finally coming out later this week, and I was just going through every team today. And in my opinion, the top four handcuff running backs combining great standalone value with that RB1 upside, A.J. Dillon, Tony Pollard, Kareem Hunt, and Melvin Gordon, who just, you know, oh, I, know yeah. I know, Hayden, you've been beating that drum, but yeah, not enough credit giving to, hey, what if Javante misses time? It's going to be the Melvin Gordon show. My next tier, which was good standalone value, with RB1 to RB2 handcuff upside, James Cook, Ronald Jones, Ramondre Stevenson, Kenneth Walker, and Jamal Williams. Out of all those names, I just said Jamal Williams is going like 20, 30 running spots, running back spots later. Like, I I, I don't get it. He's good at football. Is it just the DeAndre Swift love? Like, guys, like, is he ever going to keep falling? I keep waiting for it to happen, and it doesn't. He's not going to keep falling. I think he's going to rise because smart people like you guys are talking about him more. He's not like the sexiest name, but... You know what's happened in August? Hard knocks. And Jamal <laughs> Williams is the funniest dude on the planet. And when we get hard knocks going, uh, we're going to start getting some some puff pieces on Jamal Williams. So get, get your shares now before hard knocks starts. But I'm with you. He's paid well. I think he's the 12th highest paid player on the Lions. He's top 20 in running back spending as well. He was a basically splitting goal line work with DeAndre Swift for a, a decent chunk of the season. And I think What's the reason why his ADP has fallen in particular is last year, DeAndre Swift missed some time late in the season and Jamal Williams was fine. He got some carries, but he wasn't a full uh, like three down player. Right. I will say that's probably the most likely outcome, but I think that the this Lions team will be better. So even if he is like a two down goal line back, he still has a path to multiple touchdowns. His offensive line's better and the team's just going to be functioning at a high rate. And the other thing is he was on the COVID list. He was missing practice because of a thigh injury that had just happened there. So there's a little bit of context like getting played into this. So, I'm with you. I think Jamal Williams is one of the most mispriced players in the entire uh, player pool. I'm writing up my like 10 must draft players and he's one of them. In the uh, second Hayden. most rostered RB right now. But it's what you yeah. said, Hayden, like it's the uh, like the injuries that people are discounting. But like at the end of the day, you're getting a player that's been in every down back. Like he's shown historically to be able to play all downs. Yep. We've got an offense that's ascending. And look, 
I know nobody wants to admit it, but there are cracks in DeAndre Swift's game. Like as much as we like him and he comes through with the explosive plays, like last year, if you looked early on, like whenever the Lions were in games and they weren't just getting blown out all the time, like it was a closer split between those two backs when they were both healthy. So I think Jamal Williams has a lot of outs. One, the Lions could just be better and his role could expand. Number two, DeAndre Swift has not scored well in PFF receiving or rushing grade either of the last two years, despite coming through with the big plays. So there's an opportunity that, look, the coaches could just be like, look, he needs more playing time. The other thing that could happen, obviously, is the contingency value. If something does happen to DeAndre Swift, and we know we've got it back with an every down skill set, like I think Jamal is an absolute smash like where he's going right now. I've, he is starting to rise. I missed him in Fishbowl. I could not believe it. I was like, how do I miss Jamal Williams and Scott Fishbowl? Guess what round I got him in, Dwayne? I don't. I don't want to hear it. Don't. Don't talk to me. I'm muting. If you're going to say anything, sixteen. <laughs> wow. I'm in round. I'm in round eight right now because Daigle's out in the freaking oh uh, hiking in Banff, and we can't get this draft get cut cooking at all. Okay, Dwayne actually already mentioned this in passing. I, I think we bring it up at least once an episode now. Just the the overall shootout potential of the AFC and NFC West with all these loaded quarterbacks there. And uh, I was really happy when Dwayne went under the hood to do a similar correlation article and. You know, his big takeaway was like, yeah, we can use week 17 as a tiebreaker here, but really focusing on the general season long shootout potential sure makes a lot of sense to me. Do you have similar thoughts on that, Hayden, where, yeah, maybe a tiebreaker here and there for the week 17 stuff, but in general, man, let's just load up on these good offenses. It's Josh Norris, right? Who always says that, you know, just, just draft good football players and good offenses. Doesn't need, doesn't need to be hard, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm with Dwayne on this one. This is, there's clearly correlation. It's, for multiple games of the season, if you get three of the teams, now we're talking about six total games. So obviously uh, that's going to be the case. And maybe there's just something else to just how the standings are. They're pushing all each other and they, you're not going to have like the Jaguars where they're eight games back and these they're playing all of a sudden these, these scrub wide receivers. Yeah. Dwayne, I'm so with you. My first five picks in Scott Fishbowl, Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, Mike Williams. <laughs> there, right boom. there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going off the Dwayne principle here and just drafting all of the AFC West. I'll sprinkle in some other guys, uh, maybe from the Broncos later on in my draft. I, I think this is a sharp play. It's not just week 17. You also have to get there. And this, there's some added correlation here. I think that this could be a topic we be we start bringing up a little bit more. Uh, maybe next offseason, this is like the new way. And I don't, you know, I haven't been able to go back, Hayden, and look at like the the historical years of like what the books look like at this point in the year and how many games we had over 50 points, all that kind of stuff. But it struck me as like, I bet it's pretty rare to have 56% of the 50 plus games projected coming from just the AFC West and NFC West from two divisions. Yeah. I bet we don't get that very often. I bet the stars don't align that way. I mean, you had to have Russell Wilson, right, come over to, you know, the division. You've got Devontae Adams being added to the Raiders. There's just there's a lot of moving parts going on that really created this situation. I mean, the only bad team that's a non-quality team that you have out of all of that is really Seattle, right? And they've got terrible quarterback play. But all the other seven teams, like they're just going to be they're just going to be throwing haymakers all season. Yep. Fun little update we had uh, before this podcast regarding J.K. Dobbins. Rap sheet comes out and says Dobbins, no sure thing for week one. Hasn't had any setbacks, but the injury was a serious one. I, I appreciate Rap sheet, but this was kind of one of his token. Not going to go on a limb and say anything too far there, but he is acknowledging that, yes, this is a severe injury. And I think all of us have been aware of that now for a pretty good amount of time and fully understanding that the pup list is a possibility. But 
J.K. Dobbins got on Twitter, immediately quote tweeted rap sheet, said he's tired of being quiet. Come to me for your source because I might not even go on pup because that's how good my rehab is going. And I'm damn sure going to be ready for week one. Also cited some good stuff he's been doing in the offseason with Jesus Christ himself. So J.K. Dobbins, maybe coming back. But Hayden, you know, all this immediate news aside. Is there an injury situation or two? Maybe it is this one that you just really think could be massive. We talked before about Jamison Williams. There's Michael Gallup hanging out there, Michael Thomas. Like to me, I'd probably say Michael Thomas is the one that we could be looking at like a legit 15, 20, like wide receiver position jump if we just find out he's fully healthy. But yeah, what's an injury situation or two that you're really keeping an eye on right now? Because once we know what's going on, it could be massive. Yeah, I, I was doing prep last night for the podcast, and I had this Dobbins one as number one, and number two was Michael <laughs> Thomas. How I'm playing it, though, is I'm not fully trusting Gus Edwards' rehab either. Like He tore his ACL as well. Uh, I'm not going to do the Mike Davis thing. Uh, fool me once. Uh, Tyler Beatty is <laughs> interesting, but I mean, we're talking about like a day three rookie. I thought he was kind of slept on as a prospect, but I mean, come on. This is a lot to go through. The way to play it is Lamar Jackson, Rashad Bateman. You know, like what if last year's pass rates – stay the same because the running backs just aren't fully there. And I think the difference here just, it was very interesting. Uh, like now that we do this best ball thing year round, we basically like forgot about the types of injuries that these players happen. And we're just all assuming that they're all nine months, but like, I mean, we forgot like exactly when players were getting injured and what type of injuries And then with the Dobbins one, it's multiple, li- multiple ligaments. And like, that's where I think I'm drawing the line. I'm learning that that's way more severe than just a, like a, isolated acl and that's why i think that the dobbin stuff i'm taking pretty serious uh i know that rap sheet got dunked on but then he doubled down on the the mcafee show he said like i believe my source so mm-hmm. i'm starting to believe it's all it's like all the, the the twitter doctors they think that it's bad and i'm i'm starting to believe it yeah man the Gus Edwards thing, because I've been drafting a lot of him, but we're not exactly getting great news about him either. He is a little bit older than Dobbins. You know, it's the, the, the things that Dr. Evan Poor says he looks to the most in terms of recovery from a serious injury like an ACL, age, draft capital, because a lot of times that can help show just the freakiest athletes in the world and those guys better at recovering. And then to your point, Hayden, not having that complex multi-ligament injury. So yeah, I could just see him bringing back Devontae Freeman, man. He was actually all right for them last year. He's still a free agent. Uh, he, he was like the least washed veteran they brought into that point. But yeah, I'm not so sure. I, to your point, I think the answer is probably just loading up on that passing game. Is there a wide receiver too we can get behind? Is it Duvernay? Like, why can't Devin Duvernay be all right? I thought Devin Duvernay was like a, a reasonable prospect coming out. I mean, he had what, like 1,300 yards at University of Texas, and he runs a 4 3 6 or whatever it was. Like, to me, that was like, okay, like that's at least interesting enough. He was supposed to be a slot only player, but they used him in two wide receiver sets last year. He's, he's basically uh, competing against James Prochet, who I think is like more of like an actual slot only player. So I think it is Devin Duvernay. It could be Will Fuller or something like that. But I think it is, it's, I've been drafting Devin Duvernay with my Lamar Jackson. Um, sacks for sure. Dwayne, where would you rank Julio Jones if he signs with the Baltimore Ravens? Uh, I would get him into my wide receiver four conversation. Ooh. I mean, wide receiver four. I mean, it's like, I'm not going to get like overly excited, but like to, to Hayden's point, like there could, there's a scenario that plays out this year where the Ravens continue, you know, to be more pass, more pass heavy than what we're used to seeing. Right. You know, still be like a 60% drop back rate like last season. But in that case, you know, that would help. Um, you know, from a standpoint for Lamar Jackson, but I, I'm actually, I would rather just draft Duvernay in the last round. 
than have to deal with Julio Jones. What about uh, what are your thoughts, Hayden, on Gallup and Jalen uh, Tolbert? Yeah, it seems like Jalen Tolbert's got a leg up on James Washington. My fun fact about James Washington is he's making less money than the person that's going to win Best Ball Mania 3 this year. <laughs> and I have a rule that if a vet, if an NFL veteran is going to be making less than the BBM 3 winner, then he's on the do not draft list. Uh, Rojo is also on that list, and I'm very nervous about oh, that no. one, but I have not been drafting Ronald Jones because of that. So I'm going to be betting on J- Jalen Tolbert. Uh, it sounds like Michael Gallup. There's no reason to rush him back. Same thing with like Chris Godwin, Jameson Williams, like players that they either were just drafted high or just got a lot of money. Like, what's the point of really rushing these players back in September? It's a long season now. Um, so I, I, I'm drafting a little bit of Jalen Tolbert. I'm waiting, waiting for Michael Gallup's ADP to continue to drop. The Cowboys, like, okay, the Browns have the most effective cap space because of their little hijinks they're doing with the first year of Watson's contract. Why are the Cowboys the number two team in cap space right now? Like, Julio. You know, yeah, I was about to say, put your, like, Brian Win- Winshurst, like, meme up there. Like, come on. This offense needs another wide receiver. I'm not sure if it's going to be Julio, Fuller, trade for Robbie Anderson. Like, if there's an off – I mean, we talk about the Colts maybe bringing back T.Y. Hilton. That's a possibility. We talk about the Packers. Like, to me, the Cowboys are the squad that – like, they even lost, like, Malik Turner last year who went to San Francisco this offseason. Like, they have no depth at wide receiver. Yeah. They, they can use another – wide receiver for sure the other injury note i had written down this is the one that's going to get me canceled is ezekiel elliott was playing on a partially torn pcl last year and he was still getting all of the volume yeah he was not nearly as efficient but if you look at his splits before and after that injury he was actually pretty effective uh and the big plays were there the uh broken tackles all that stuff was there what if zeke is just like a little bit healthier this year like i hate to be like the 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 shooting down all of the Tony Pollard love and nobody likes Zeke, but he's going at the round four or five turn. I and mean, we're talking like you can get some fifth round shares for Zeke Elliott. And we're talking about the lack of uh, weapons on, on the Cowboys offense. All of a sudden it's a very thinned out depth chart. What if they just like give the ball to Zeke a little bit more and he's not playing on a uh, partially torn PCL. I'm with you, Dwayne, not so much, but Dwayne, I think you've been open to round four or five, Zeke. Like that's no, another it's all, point where we're good. Yeah, it's all priced in at that ADP. Yeah. Like you're st- you're still getting you're buying into an offense that we think should be good. Like the Cowboys could definitely regress, you know, but we know they run enough plays. And we know that they could just get the backs more involved in the passing game, right? That could be the answer is that they're just going to get the backs more involved. And Zeke, you know, it, yeah, he's not the same receiving threat that Pollard is. But Zeke's fine. Like he can catch checkdowns out of the backfield and then a half PPR. That's, I mean, fine. Those things add up. So, yeah. Um, I don't, I'm kind of surprised. Like it's still, like it's getting down to that turn now. I kind of thought like once, like we started to get closer to the season, like Zeke would probably creak, you know, up to like the beginning of the fourth, like the end of the third. And that just hasn't happened yet. So it's kind of an interesting uh, way that ADP is working itself out for Zeke. But yeah, like Pollard and then Pollard, you got to take in round seven. So it's like, you know, they're really tight. I will say with Pollard, the reason why I'm high on A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones is because you look at the Packers offense, and I think it makes sense that those are their two top playmakers. You can see them running a lot of that offense through them. And if Jones gets injured, Dillon's going to be a top five, six running back. If Dillon gets injured, same thing for Aaron Jones. Like, that could be the same case for Pollard as well. If you look at the Cowboys offense, yeah, they have C.D. Lamb. There's no one like that in Green Bay, but – it's CD, it's Zeke. Like Pollard could just be Kellen Moore's number three option. Like I was begging a couple years ago before the Cowboys drafted CD because before they didn't have like a slot receiver at that point after they had lost Cole Bees. And I was like, oh my God, could Tony Pollard get this RB2 and slot role? 
Like, here we are, guys. It's July 18th. That's possible. Like, we could actually see Pollard kind of start this year. And my God, the ceiling's the freaking moon. God forbid something happened to Zeke, as we always go over. And nothing does, but you could imagine. What if Pollard misses times? Where are we ranking Zeke? <laughs> like, we always do it the other way around because it's, it's more exciting for, for everybody. But This is the Melvin Gordon uh, yeah, freaking it's, issue. It's the same bet. We're talking about these, like, washed-up players. James Conner, Leonard Fournette, uh, Melvin Gordon. Like, all these – if you have the ability to be a three-down back, which Zeke clearly has shown that, even if we think that he's washed, like – the yards per carry stuff doesn't really matter for fantasy football. Are you getting the goal line carries and can you be a two minute uh, option guy? And I think that Zeke still has that. And we're talking about good offenses here. James Connor, Leonard Fournette, Melvin Gordon, Zeke Elliott, they all play for good offense. So I think that these are the type of bets I want to be making as everybody runs from the Hills because they don't think that he's quite as fast as he once was. I was going to label the show something about like best ball strategy, but now I think I'm just going to make it like Hayden Winks hypes up Ezekiel Elliott. <laughs> this, I can't live with that. this one. Hayden, no, don't worry. That's what our social team will do anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrified. Fantastic stuff. Uh, you already gave out one of your all-encompassing tips, which is not to draft anyone that's making under uh, $2 million that the first place prize winner of Best Ball Mania can receive. But if you're talking to someone who has never done a single best ball draft and you could just give them three general tips, what would they be? So the first thing is don't reach. You can kind of map out, like find the 10 players that you want to draft, figure out which round you need to be drafting them in, and then just target them in that round. Do not reach on your guys. They will, I promise you, they will be drafted around the ADP. So sit in that spot. Uh, and basically think about when you're drafting one position early on, just draft fewer of them. And I see this a lot where players were drafting way too many wide receivers. They'll do a zero uh, RB team. They'll have six stud receivers. And then they're still drafting like nine wide receivers. That's too much. If you've drafted four or five good wide receivers, stop at seven. And the same thing on the flip side, if you drafted three running backs in the first seven rounds, stop at five running backs in total. And then going back to the stacking, you've drafted a quarterback, draft at least one of his pass catchers. For the most part, you can you should be drafting two of his pass catchers. That could be a wide receiver and a tight end. But for the most part, draft as many, many team stacks as you can, and then talk about the contingencies with the player archetypes and stuff. And that's why we walk, walk through all the player stuff is how these, these players map into your lineup. It's going to be based upon what your draft looks like in like the first 10 rounds. Don't reach draft fewer of the position if you get more early on and draft at least one pass catcher from the quarterback you take. And maybe you can go take home that $2 million first place prize. Go make more money than Ronald Jones or James Washington in the year 2022. Dwayne, do you have anything else for our lovely guest, Mr. Hayden Winks? No, man. I just, I, I'm going to have to add another column, you know, to the, to the spreadsheet though. That's just got the, uh, under two mil salary, you know, which is under the two. <laughs> I have a column place, for so. it. I wrote it. I did. I did. <laughs> I went on over the cap. You can find it on underdog network. I'll save you the time. That is awesome. That is awesome. But no, man, just appreciate having you on. Thanks, man. You can find Hayden on Twitter at Hayden Winks. Again, always doing great stuff over at underdog fantasy alongside Josh Norris. You guys is, uh, the YouTube game is very strong. Hayden, do you guys have anything else? Uh, you're cooking up here as we're starting to get into like you know again i we do fantasy 365 days a year but the casuals of the world and i love you casuals i'm not hating on you You guys have a real life like that is awesome i sometimes i am even jealous of you but hayden what do you have coming up here as we get into the thick of the fantasy football offseason every monday night we're doing a best ball draft i think we're gonna do a versus thing we're gonna take old co-hosts that are no longer podcasting together and bringing them on to do a draft <laughs> that's gonna be our theme for monday nights and then every tuesday and thursday josh and i have um, a regular podcast we're taking tons of clips we're trying to have like one player clip 
for like the top 100 players and underdog. So all that stuff is going to be on the YouTube. And we have a podcast as well. Fantastic stuff. Dwayne, what do you got on PFF.com this week? Okay, you could unmute your mic or if you're just that ashamed about oh, it. Oh, you know? yeah, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed <laughs> about it. I thought I was done. No, uh, we'll drop the top 150 last week. Quarterback strategy article came out last week. So this week we have running back wide receiver. Next week we'll have tight end. And then, of course, we'll be getting into what's the one thing we need to be following from every training camp, you know, that's going to matter the most for fantasy football. Cannot wait for that one. Want to, again, invite everyone, if you enjoy the podcast, if you enjoy PFF in general, or just football, you know, or if you're just looking for something to spend money on, why not a PFF subscription? Promo code PFF40 gets you 40% off all annual PFF subscriptions, rankings, locked articles, betting guide, everything that you could want and more. Again, this is our best sale of the summer, of the year. Promo code PFF40 to save 40% off all annual PFF subscriptions. For Hayden, for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football podcast and until next time take care everybody.